Thank you, boys and girls, for collecting these offerings. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for an opening prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you because this day is a holy day. You separated this one from the rest of the week. And you want to dwell with us. This is a special time when we can have a Bible study, we can have a sermon, we can have fellowship, even sharing a meal together. So, Lord, we ask you to give us your very special blessing today, not only to us, but to everyone who is present with us as friends or visitors. And Lord, please open our hearts and minds as we turn to your word, to the book of Daniel again. And we want to thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What do you think about the book of Daniel? Have you ever taken time to read the whole book in one sitting? Try, try once, at least once. <laughs> this is, is a very good study. And you will discover something that out of the 12 chapters of Daniel, you will find at least five or six that are practically not prophecy. We call it a prophetic book, but six out of those 12 chapters are practically not dealing with prophecies, but they are telling us the impact of prophecies on people's lives. And so today we turn to chapter 3. You know, chapter 3 is probably the most well-known part of this book. And before I move to chapter 3, I'd like you to turn with me to see the context and read a couple of verses from chapter 2. So chapter 2 we studied. We used two Sabbaths to study chapter 2 because this is really a prophecy. is more than a personal testimony. But when it comes to chapter 3, this is more like how human characters are formed in, I should say, crisis situations. You know, this book is full of crisis situations, if you think about that, because in in chapter 1, there is a so-called national crisis situation, because Nebuchadnezzar, the new ruler, came to Jerusalem, if you go to... uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, and besieged it. And then the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the articles of the house of God. And he took all those items from the house of the Lord, from the temple, and then took those items to his, God's house. And it seems that God was silent. Then if you go to chapter 2, 
God revealed secrets to the king first, then to Daniel to explain the dream. And of course, there were some personal crisis situations. Think about those young people who were taken captive and they decided not to eat from the table of the king. They had their own decision. They, they were very faithful to the health laws found in the, New, in the Old Testament. And of course, when it comes to the end of chapter 2, we just need to read a couple of verses, let's say verses um, 37 to 40. Chapter 2, verses 37 to 40. You, O king, are a king of kings. And Daniel is speaking. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, I think something is wrong with the with the mic. Need some adjustment. Isaac, you, you are you are the Minuteman helping us. Do you hear me now? Okay, thank you. Thank you. You can never trust in electrical equipments. You know, this is something I have to learn. <laughs> we need to, we need to bear with one another because sometimes it is, it's kind of uh, tricky. So going back to Daniel chapter 2, when the prophet explained or giving an explanation of the dream, he was saying the following. Verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. And this is very important to notice. That Daniel is not simply saying you are a great king. But he is saying that the, the, the king of heaven. Or the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, then power, then strength, then glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Because the king saw in, in a dream or in a vision this big statue made of four different uh, metals. And so God is very specific because he's saying that this head of gold symbolizing your kingdom. 
And then God is saying something else which the king did not really like. There was verse 39, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crashes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Then finally he was going down to the toes of this big statue, saying that the toes and of course part of the legs are clay of clay or iron mixed. Which means that the power will be divided and it will be partially strong, but on the other hand it will be a very weak kingdom. But God was very specific when he said that after you, there will be another kingdom. Well, the king had a little trouble with this. And if you go to chapter 3, I'd like to read the first six verses. Chapter Daniel chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. This is another crisis situation. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together, together the shatrafs, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the official of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded of peoples, nations, and languages that at that time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lure, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So what is this? Try to imagine yourself. You are forced to worship an idol. How how would you react to this? Not simply saying that you are supposed to worship, but if you don't worship, then you have one more option. 
And that's death. Immediate death because they are thrown into the fiery furnace. So what do you think about this king? King Nebuchadnezzar, did he understand uh, the vision or the dream he had received from God? Because God told him that you are the gold head, the head made of gold, but after you there will be another and a third and a fourth and many more kingdoms. Your kingdom would would not last that long. Well, there is no ruler who would accept that. <laughs> well, this king was not an exception. He said that I want to make a change in human history by power. What do you think about power? Is it good or bad? Well, if power is good for a good purpose, is used for a good purpose, then it's good. But power can be misused. And so this man wanted to control the future. He wanted to control human history simply by asking to bow down before the image of gold, seeing that this kingdom would not be destroyed. Although the prophet at the end of his explanation was very clear on saying that all these Empires will be destroyed by the stone or the rock that would fall on them, would fall on them, and then he would stand, or the kingdom of God would stand forever. So this king decided otherwise. He said, I don't want to accept what God is saying. I can change history. What do you think about this attitude? I can change history. Isn't that a strange human behavior? The spirit of independence, you know, in a bad sense. That he said there is no God who can change things. Or who can control human history? I can do that. Well, what happened afterwards? Something very interesting. Because everybody bowed down except those three. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And Martha will recite the poem. My, my mind was... Wondering about so many things today, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just noticed that Martha did not recite the poem, but at the end, please do that. Uh, about these three men. Let's go to verse 15. We are still in Daniel chapter 3. And we go to verse 15. And I'm reading verses uh, uh, 15 to 18. We can read the whole chapter, but we don't have that much time, unfortunately. So I'm just picking some passages. So the king is saying, now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and so on and so on. He is saying, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you don't worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning 
fiery furnace. And the big question comes after this. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? What is this? I think it's personal pride. Personal pride which I found in uh, Prophets and Kings by Ellen White. Prophets and Kings on page 503. This is a, is a very interesting passage about the king. Ellen White is saying that Nebuchadnezzar was influenced by the fear of God, but his heart was not yet cleansed from worldly ambition and a desire for self-exaltation. So he understood something, but he didn't grasp the full picture. His character did not change. The prosperity attending his reign filled him with pride. Then he decided, I can change everything. I can rule the whole human history. And who is the God? He said, who would deliver you from my hands? Well, what did they they say? Let's read what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, it's verse 16, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But there is an, a sentence which is, is very, very interesting. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So what is this? What kind of faith is this? Have you ever prayed for God's protection? And although you prayed for God's protection, you had an accident. This is, let's suppose, it's not a real story. I'm just making up a story. (laughs) It happened to me too. And so I was wondering, uh, where is God now? Why is he not responding? Why is he not protecting me? Or you prayed for somebody for healing. And you had no answer. You believe that there is going to be healing. But there was no healing. And the person passed away. Real faith comes in 
as these three men responded to the king and they said, but if he does not do it, what did, what did they say? It said, but if not, meaning would not deliver us from your hand, O king, let it be known to you that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Why is that so important? You know, by the end of human history, there will be a situation very similar to this one. And it's written in the very last book of the Bible. Let's go to Revelation. Because this is something we, we just need to consider. This is, uh, is going to happen. Maybe not a fiery furnace, maybe something else. But it's going to be the same crisis situation. And so if we go to Revelation, um, in chapter 13, we will find something which I believe is, uh, is of a crucial importance. Verse 11, for instance. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Which empire is symbolized by this beast? We don't need to go too far to identify this beast. Because someone has done it before us. You know what his name was? John Andrews. John Andrews, we have a university named after him. He was the one who identified this symbolic beast. And this is unfortunate, but he said that symbolizes the United States. And if you read a couple of more verses, you will find out why is that so important. If you go to verse 14 and 15, it says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So there are two beasts in this chapter. This beast coming up out of the land is different from the other one, which is is coming out of the sea. If you read the first few verses of Revelation 13, it gives you another beast which is coming out of the sea. Like in Daniel chapter 7, you, you will find four beasts coming out of the sea. And this first beast in Revelation 13 symbolizes the papacy. And there will be some cooperation between these two powers. So it says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make what? To make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. First beast. 
And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause cause as many as would not worship the image, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And then it also gives us another option. It says, verse 17, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the, uh, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And it also says that those who would not worship this idol, which is a symbolic idol, it's probably a human organization, a power, power structure, that they would all be killed. I think it's found in verse 15. So it caused as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. What would you do in a situation like that? What, what would you say? These three young men said, even if our God is not saving us. It's not a question of being able to save or not. It's a question of trust. And that's what we need to understand, that faith is more than simply acknowledging that God has the power. It's much deeper than that, because they said, even if he would not do that, we would stand firm because we know that there is something good come is going to come out of this situation. Well, we know this big story, so I'm just jumping to the end, Daniel 3 and verses 21 to 25. Daniel 3 and verses 21 to 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Let's stop here. Is it something rational? Does it make any difference? I don't think it would make any difference because... The heat was so intense that it killed those soldiers who took these uh, uh, Jewish boys or young men to this furnace. So it did not make any, practically any difference, but when someone is controlled by his or her anger, then the person would make irrational decisions. So that's exactly what he did. Seven times more heating this, heating up this furnace, just to be sure. But it was not necessary. There was what we call today an overdose. Overdose would not make any difference. And then let's drop to verse 23. 
It says, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. What would you expect in that situation? They were vaporized because of the heat. Vaporized in a half a second. They could not do anything because they were bound. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, was astonished. Well, he was not a man of being astonished so easily. But he was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Was it a rational question? That was an irrational question because he gave command and it was done. And now he's asking a question which makes no sense. Irrational decision and irrational decision again. And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What happened? What happened to the king? What happened to these people? Well, the king had to learn his lesson, which... He was slow to learn, to be honest. He was a smart king. He was a very smart man. But you know, when it comes to changing human character, smartness would not help too much. Humbleness would would help. But this king (coughs) carried (coughs) a strong... Pride, self-exaltation. And as I read from Prophets and Kings, this king would not really allow God or the Spirit of God to change his character. But now he's changing. He's changing. I see something, he said. There was somebody walking in the midst of the fire with them. He said, he looks like the Son of God. How can he, or could he identify the fourth person being the Son of God? How did he know how the Son of God would look like? Do you think these three young men in Daniel give them some Bible study? I believe so. Because otherwise, a pagan king, how did he know that this is like the Son of God? But more importantly, what did the Son of God do for these people? Simply save them. 
And we need to go, and I will probably conclude with this Bible verse. This is Isaiah. Isaiah 43, and then verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 43, and verses 2 and 3. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So what happened to this young man? Well, I go back to Daniel. The king said, you need to come out. We, we want to test you. <clears throat> we want to see how you are doing. And it said, the Bible says in verse 27, the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singled, singled. Nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. What is this? What is this? No smell of the fire, of the smoke. No hair or skin or bones burnt. What is this? I was glad that uh, Bill read this verse from uh, Exodus chapter 3, I think verse 5 or 6, about the burning bush. We need to see that story behind, because the burning bush was not consumed. God was there in the fire, but the fire did not affect the dry bush. Think about California. Dry bush. You know, just burns. You cannot stop it. And in the desert, there was a dry bush. God was there in the fire. But God is... is a consuming fire. That's what we can read in Hebrews chapter 12. He is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Can fire extinguish fire? What do you think? I'm not a firefighter, but I heard that sometimes firefighters use fire against fire. Have you heard about that? In order to stop the fire, they lit another fire there. They would stop the spread of the fire. But this was a different fire. There was a fire from God. And I believe that fire preserved the life of these three. And it gave a teaching to Nebuchadnezzar that the God, this young man worship, has power over his furnace. 
and his anger. God has power over his life. Because God is going to finish human history and not Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a beautiful story about how we Bible-based Christians understand human history. And I'm so glad that we sign up for this Pale Horse Rides program because it's going to be about history. And if you don't like history, please come. Because you will love history afterwards. I listened the first presentation last night. It was great. So I'm going to listen. This is right here. I'm going to listen the next one tonight and maybe tomorrow, the third one, just to see how it works. But this is a great presentation of the power of God, how he really guides. I'm not saying controls, but he's guiding human history. But before we finish, I need to give two minutes to, to Martha, my lovely wife, because, because of so many things going on today, you know, I'm sorry, I just missed her, but please come up, Martha, and then recite this poem, and I'll move, I'll move my papers. Just give me a second to move all these papers. Pardon? I, I will move it. A Fiery Furnace Moment by Margaret Cagle. Ask the King, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you didn't bow down to my image. Is that so? If bowing not when the instruments sound, 